Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was ARG. So begins the sacred scripture of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. The website for the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster says this, quote, religious texts tell us that humans evolved from pirates. Consider that so-called science experts, science experts, would have us believe humans evolved from primates, pointing out the shared 99% shared DNA between humans and primates. But humans and pirates share upwards of 99.9% DNA. We believe that pirates were the original pastafarians and that they were peaceful explorers. It was only due to Christian misinformation that they have an image of outcast criminals today. <laughs> no one knows, they say, right, what the afterlife really holds, but we are told FSM, Flying Spaghetti Monster Heaven, has a beer volcano and stripper factory. I have no idea what a stripper factory is either, but... Well, what is this business about pirates and beer volcanoes? I want to take a, a look at a Pastafarian picture here. Uh, and uh, it's a, a look at four people at some sort of a rally. I guess it's a, uh, a college campus uh, rally, I suppose, of some sort. But look closely, and yes, we have our Pastafarian there, right? Now... Two of the people in the picture are Christians of a particularly fundamentalist stripe. Well, I'm there to tell the drunks, homosexuals, abortionists, etc., that they are doomed to hell. The other two are Pastafarians, followers of the flying spaghetti monster. Sure, the depth of tradition you know, a couple of thousand years worth of tradition after all, is on the side of those Christians. But notice that they are not smiling. <laughs> they are not having fun. The two Pastafarians, on the other hand, have smiles on their faces. Who would you rather be? <laughs> oh, you might be thinking, but Christianity is... What, true? older? What? It's a real-world question to ask. Since you're listening to my voice today, chances are you chose something other than fundamentalist Christianity to be your life's path. But you are, of course, just as free to go back and join those two frowning guys. Both are religious options. And there are, what, thousands millions of different religious options out there. 
somewhere in between the frowns and the smiles, maybe. Now, give some thought to just how complex human religions can get. What's the difference between Baptists and Presbyterians? Yeah, that should be a test on the seminary, right? How many pages of theology are there to those traditions? Billions. And then Baptists and Presbyterians, there are dozens of splinter groups that believe just this little bit less or more or whatever. A lot of trees have died <laughs> for, for religion. And, and who even keeps track of this stuff after a while? All the thought, all the speculation, the accretions of revision after revision on top of revisions. Religious traditions are the very essence of hide-bound. Let's consider for a moment one example, the five points of Calvinism, often memorized by the acronym TULIP. T, total depravity. U, unconditional election. L, limited atonement. I, irresistible grace. P, perseverance of the saints. T, tulip, it sounds really pretty, doesn't it? Until you start considering the concepts that the acronym sums up. Total, unconditional, limited, irresistible. This is a story that says most of humanity, through most of human history, from the distant past into the future, billions upon billions of human beings are damned eternally to torment, and they have no choice in the matter whatsoever. That's not such a pretty tulip. Total depravity? Imagine what it does to a kid's mind to be told, you were born totally depraved. Well, I don't have to imagine it, because I was as a kid. <laughs> the only difference being that the tulip Calvinism and the holy, holiness Pentecostalism that I grew up with, uh, we believed that you could get out of eternal damnation by bringing it all to Jesus. You have free will, and you can get out of that, which is kind of the essence of American self-help culture, isn't it? Europeans brought tulip, but most Americans have gone for the, you can change your life and do something else. All of these are ideas, dogmas, they're the products of the fertile human mind. They're stories, as Buckley was mentioning. Stories about what it means to be human. Stories about what we human beings can do and should do. Think of all the human energy through the ages spent on trying to explain and document what it means to be human and how to be human in the world. Go to any seminary and just start with A, right? You will not finish. Think of all the human energy that has gone into concepts of hell, that eternal lake of fire, and Harold with his purple crayon. Hell or Harold? We do have a choice. Some of us are smiling and some of us are not. 
Have you ever noticed that we often hear about the war between science and religion, but never about the war between science and poetry? When was the last time you saw a documentary on it? Why don't we hear about the war between science and poetry? Because mm, they occupy two categorical differences. We understand they're different categories of things. Science is about experimentation to reach conclusions about a consensus reality. Consensus reality. We, we can agree on this consensus reality. Poetry is about the use of language to express a subjective reality. And here's what I want to propose for your consideration today. Religion and poetry and the arts with a capital A, like music, yes, are all in the same category, I propose. And that category is the human imagination. One of the interesting and problematic things about the word religion is that we don't even know what the etymology of it is. We don't know where it came from, and therefore we don't know what the original meaning of the word was. The Roman writer Cicero, who died in 43 BCE, speculated that the Latin noun religion came from the Latin verb religare, re, again, ligare, to bind. Lig as in ligaments, right? The ligaments that keep your muscles, to re-bind. Now, we don't believe that many things that Cicero thought about science, etc., and he was a folk etymologist, but this is as close as we get to even understanding where the word possibly came from. Many people through the years have accepted Cicero's surmise, and so it's caught on uh, due to its folk nature and its assumptions. But the problem is, what does it mean to rebind? The question is, to what? The sacred? The earth? the primal forces and powers of the universe, the vast cosmic consciousness? Is this rebinding because we lost the binding that we had when we were born? Are we returning to something that we have forgotten over time? Up I forgot is down I grew, or down I forgot is up I grew, as E. e. Cummings would say it. Are we being repatriated into some kind of a land of what? Holiness? Wholeness? Uh, are we restored? What's the re? I don't really know. Dr. T.M. Lerman is a professor of religious anthropology at Stanford University. She grew up a Unitarian Universalist and an agnostic. She researches how people believe in gods. That's her, that's her thing. How do people actually believe? Her most recent book is How God Be uh, Becomes Real, Kindling the Presence of Invisible Others. All right? How God Becomes Real, Kindling the Presence of Invisible Others. Dr. Lerman is, a, is as skeptical as you or me. However, she knows that people all over the world do feel the presence of their gods. They manifest them. How do they do that? And her answer is play. Play. Think for a moment about a child pretending to be a lion or a dog. Okay? 
Children know perfectly well that they don't actually become lions or dogs or dragons or firefighters. They know they aren't really that. They're only pretending. By the same token, children know that if you or I pretend to be a lion or a dog or a dragon or whatever, actually we are not those things, no matter how loudly we growl, right? They might scream and run away and pretend fright or whatever, but they are not, in fact, confused between play and reality. They know the difference. Dr. Lerman claims that religious belief is exactly like that. We know that what we think in religious terms is not real in the way that a tree we see outside the window is real. An example Lerman gives us is a devout, sincere person praying for groceries. They're hungry. A person needs groceries and prays to their gods for groceries, but does that person then go to the refrigerator looking for those groceries to be there. Most people don't. How do they know the difference? They're playing a game. Most people understand that there's a difference between religious reality and consensus reality. That's why we're not all in one big church in Minneapolis this morning. Right? There's a difference between those two things. Brain imaging shows that when people pray or talk about their religious ideas or imagine God, it's not the object-oriented parts of the brain that light up. It's the imagination parts that light up. We can feel the difference. Religious thought is imaginative thought. Religious thought is play. It's art. Some of you joined our archive committee last Sunday reading and discussing a talk by uh, John Dietrich, one of our former ministers, on mysticism. One of the striking things about that talk is that even though it was written way back in 1935, it fairly well describes our cultural understanding of mysticism to this day. We just haven't advanced that much in how we think religiously. One reason for that, I suspect, is that we still haven't clarified what a mystical experience even is. Where does it come from? We don't know. Are the realizations we have during a mystical experience or a, maybe a drug-induced psych psychic experience, right? Something like that. Uh, it's in our subjective con consciousness, subjective consciousness, but where does it come from? Is it our brains talking to us? Is it the larger universe speaking to us? Or, to look at the matter another way, was perhaps the psychologist Carl Jung correct that mystical and psychedelic experience are revelatory of our subconsciousness? Yes, up here, which is in fact tied to a larger reality that we unwittingly don't notice in our day-to-day -day lives. The spiritus mundi the spirit of the world, as they used to call it back in the 20th century. We know that there are human experiences that are unutterable and ineffable. No words. You can't say what it was like. We know that. In his talk, John Dietrich quotes from William Wordsworth's poem with the super long title, Are You Ready? Lines composed a few miles above Tintern Abbey on revisiting the banks of the Wye during a tour July 13, 1798. How's that for an exciting title? 
In the poem, Wordsworth attempts to get at a mystical experience. Let me read a little bit from the poem. For I have learned to look on nature not as in the hour of thoughtless youth, but hearing oftentimes the still sad music of humanity, nor harsh nor grating, though of ample power to chasten and subdue. And I have felt a presence that disturbs me with the joy of elevated thoughts, a sense of sublime, of something far more deeply interfused, whose dwelling is the light of setting suns and the round ocean and the living air and the blue sky and the mind of man, a motion and a spirit that impels all thinking things, all objects of all thought and rolls through all things. Therefore am I still a lover of the meadows and the woods and mountains and of all we behold from this green earth. Of all the mighty world of eye and ear, both what we half create and what perceive, well pleased to recognize in nature and the language of the senses, the anchor of my purest thoughts, the nurse, the guide, the guardian of my heart and soul, of all my mortal being. End quote. Well, that's a famous bit about expressing what you can't express. A classic reflection on the power of nature, and you can see why the American transcendentalists would latch onto that poem pretty quickly, to recognize, quote, in nature and the language of the senses, the anchor of my purest thoughts, the nurse, the guide, the guardian of my heart and soul of my moral being. Well, the human mind is an amazing thing. Each of us lives in the power of our imagination. Sometimes the I, the self, whatever that is, I don't know what myself is, I've said before, I, I don't know. Sometimes we feel in charge, don't we? I have to take a couple of little teeny pills to be in charge of my mind each day. I've mentioned before, I, I was born depressed, right? So that helps me have a subjective experience that's not quite as dark, right? However you get there, right, who's in charge? Sometimes we are it, sometimes we feel compelled, sometimes we feel driven or obsessed or possessed by something we don't know from where. We hear voices in our head, and where are those voices coming from? Where are the pictures, the images in our minds, where are they coming from? Why can't I quiet the chatter in my monkey mind, as the Buddhists call it? How much of our own minds do we understand? How much are we in control of? What do we even know about ourselves? Despite decades of research, and we're kind of still back in 1935 in terms of our understanding of the religious mind. So yes, Harold and his purple crayon and his amazing imagination can conjure a day of danger and fun and religions and gods and governments. Harold can make all of that up. And sarin gas and war and hatred. It's all from the fruitful human imagination. We are amazing creatures, amazing creatures who do not understand the power of our own minds. But let's think back to that picture of the Pastafarians and the fundamentalists who is having a good time. Who's enjoying their lives? Who is spreading love and compassion? And who is spreading 
hate, and division. That's the deepest religious secret of all. You choose. You choose the nature of the universe you live in, unconsciously or consciously. Unconsciously or consciously, you choose. I say, let's choose imagination. Let's pick up that purple crayon. And all the people said, Ramen! Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.